we're going to get started here. Let's bow in prayer as we look at the word. Lord, we just thank you for this opportunity to sing praises to you. And you say make a joyful noise unto you, and, and you appreciate whatever we make to you, and we thank you for that. Lord, we ask you to bless this time as we open the word and look at the scriptures and ask you to guide and lead us as we look at these. And thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. We're in, going to be in Matthew chapter 1 today. We're taking a short time off to do some Christmas story uh, messages because it is December as we're entering into the Christmas season. So we're going to be looking at Matthew 1, starting at verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise when his... When as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, you son of David, fear not to make un take unto you Mary your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done, that it might be fulfilled, which had been spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took her unto him his wife. And he knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. We're going to talk today about Joseph. Joseph is kind of the forgotten character in the Christmas story. You know, we see him taking Mary to Bethlehem, and, and then that's about the last thing we hear of him. He gets the vision to go to Egypt. But I want to just look at the... Last week we looked at the problems that Mary had with this whole declaration. Now we're going to look at the problems Joseph has with this whole declaration. You know, so he's going along and his beloved pledged wife is found to be pregnant. And if you think about that, if you're the husband-to-be and your and you're beautiful bride who you love and is obviously loves, and we'll talk about that as we go along, is found to be pregnant, you're going to be going, how could she have done this to me? You are going to be disappointed. Joseph is no less disappointed with this. His bride that he loved is pregnant. What is even worse is in Exodus 20:14. We all know it that you shall not commit adultery. As far as he's concerned, she's been unfaithful. He understands biology. He goes, he don't get pregnant without sleeping with somebody. And he's like, Why could she, how could she have done this to me? What has she done? It's against the law. It's against, she's supposed to love me and I love her. And we're supposed to be consummating this relationship really soon. And she is pregnant. This is a big deal for Joseph. He also knows that according to Leviticus 20 verse 10, that Mary can be stoned by the people. She is pregnant without having a husband or without having a relationship with her husband. She's committed adultery. That is a capital offense to the Jews. And this is why when we look at this, we're going, how is he dealing with this? This is a really intriguing problem for Joseph. Uh, 
And you can imagine Mary's got, Mary had enough trouble with it herself. I'm going to have a baby. I've never slept with a man. I don't understand this, but God, I'll do whatever you want. And she's probably praying that God is going to tell Joseph because Joseph's not going to believe her. You can imagine mom and dad didn't believe Mary. <laughs> and so now he's trying to figure out, okay, what can I do? And the reason I say that he loves her is because we look at it in verse 19. And he was a just man and he was not willing to make her a public example and wanted to put her away privately, secretly. He just wanted to, he didn't want to see her die. All right. Now, if he didn't really love her, he would have gone, she's time for her to get her just desserts. She, she slept around with me now. And so I'm just waiting for her to get her, get her. But we see that he loves her deeply from all of this because he's going, what can I do to keep her from dying? You know, because this was his fear. Uh, how can I divorce her without exposing her to disgrace? At the very least. You know, and you know, we, we can, uh, most people in this room are old enough to remember when having a child outside of, of being married was a big deal. In today's world, we don't look at it hardly at all as a big deal, even though God says it's sin. In today's world, we don't really look at it that big. In their day, <laughs> it was a big deal. In our day, it should be a big deal. But it isn't because people do not want to call things sin. And so Joseph is struggling with this. He goes, we have been engaged. I have been building my house. I have been building the, the business up. I'm all ready to bring her in. And now she has been unfaithful. That's his thought process. She has been unfaithful. How could she have been unfaithful? And any man that's ever been in love with somebody would understand that kind of mentality. She's been unfaithful. How, you know, we all know that you don't have a baby without sleeping together. And so Joseph is struggling with all of this. What can I do? How can I get out of it? How can I divorce her, which is a public proceeding, without making it a public proceeding and making damage to Mary, at the very least, to her reputation, and if not, even having her stoned? This is a big problem for him. He's a righteous man. He loves her. And he's very disappointed at this point in time and trying to struggle and figure out what is going on. How can this happen? Why do I bring these stories up? Because I want us to really remember, we think about these characters and think, oh, it's a wonderful story. You know, Mary became pregnant. They went to, they went to Bethlehem. She had a baby and they lived happy all ever after. When God intervenes in your life, your life is shaken upside down in more cases than not. Our Lottie Moon person said that she felt like her life is Joseph's life. Joseph was favored of his father, sold into slavery, accused of a crime that he did not do, and put into prison. Have you ever thought about, those, about what God does in people's lives? You know, we read these heroes of the faith. Now, Joseph ends up being promoted and being, and being great, but for a long part of his life, he wasn't promoted until he was 30 years old. He was sold into slavery at 17. For 13 years, it looked like his life was over. Every time things looked good, he got knocked down again. 
How do you react when God puts you in tough areas in your life? This is very important for us. Mary is in a tough area because we talked last week. Her reputation is going to be shot with the, with the other women in the town because they, they could count and know when Joseph and Mary would, had, had their actual wedding ceremony and they knew that the baby was born too, too early. She wouldn't have not had a reputation. Joseph has got a big question mark here. What am I going to do? My beautiful bride has been unfaithful. How do I get rid of her? His life has just been turned totally upside down by God blessing Mary with the birth of the Messiah. At this particular point in their life, they're not looking at this as a blessing. At the cross, Mary probably wasn't looking at this as a blessing. She lost her son. And every parent knows that the parent's supposed to die before the child. This is a big deal. That will be a big deal for her. Joseph is in this contemplating contemplation. He doesn't want to make her a public, public example. He's trying to find out how can I divorce her without bringing a great bunch of shame to her and possibly having her lose her life. And God steps in. How many times has God stepped into your life when you're in the midst of a hard time? I hope he steps in a lot. The hard times are also hard to hear him because it's hard for us to quiet our minds down enough to hear, to pay attention. And this is important for us as we look at this. God steps in to explain. He sends an angel and says, this child is God's. Mary has not been unfaithful to you. She has been pure. This is hard for him to understand. But God steps in and says, take her as your wife. Now you've got to understand from this because from this point on, basically when, when everybody sees Joseph and Mary, they're going to be thinking, well, there's that couple that they, got a, they, they were in relationships long before they were supposed to. They, they, were, they were being fornicators and had a relationship and they had this kid. They still got married, so we're happy that. But they're just off just a little bit. They're just a little bit. Because, he's, because when he took Mary, he's basically saying, this is my child to the public. I mean, he never, he never claimed him. He, never, you know, he always said it was God's, you know, that is, this was a virgin birth. But by taking her, the, the community were saying, uh-huh, if he was a real man and it wasn't his kid, he would not be taking her. He would be rejecting her. So there's a huge, you know, we forget what this reputation was for them. This was a huge reputation hit for Mary and Joseph that they bore the stigma of the rest of their days. You know, and it's hard for us in our day and age to really understand this because it's so accepted. Living together is accepted. Fornication is accepted. All these things are accepted in our day and age, and they should not be because they are sin. But we have trouble understanding how big a deal this was for Mary and Joseph for this, for this to have happened to them. And the angel steps in and says, this is the fulfillment. And he tells him that this is the, been conceived of the Holy Spirit and that his name will be Jesus and that he will save his people. 
Joseph is reminded of the message of the Messiah coming. The Messiah is coming. He is going to save his people. He's going to be born of a virgin. He's going to be of the seed of David, which is why the angel said, you, Joseph, son of David. He's reminding him his position to be the earthly father. And Mary was of the tribe of Judah also and of the tri family of David. So both of them are of the tribe of David, uh, the seed of David, so that Jesus would be the legitimate king of Israel. And so this is all the stuff going on. All of this stuff going on in his life. His life has been shaken up. Mary's life has been shaken up. And God is saying, I've got a plan. And you can't look at anybody in the Bible that God used in a mighty way that their life wasn't shaken up when he stepped in. What am I trying to make a point of? If God is shaking up your life, be ready for what he's doing. Many people want to quit when God shakes their life up and say, well, I don't believe this. How could God let this kind of thing happen to me? Well, we have Joseph sold into slavery. We have Moses who gets the call of God and tries to do it his own way and commits murder and gets sent out and then gets told to go back. And then he gets to lead a very rebellious people that made his life miserable for, for the next uh, 40 years after that. Over and over again, when we see people, God stepping into lives and their life gets shaken up, and all we pay attention to is the end result where, where they, they, they are worshiping God and God uses them and they, and they look glorious, but we forget that piece of the life where God is shaking up their life and saying, are you going to trust me? The hardest thing for us is to be trusted is to trust God when our life is being shaken up. And it's difficult at times. And we're going, God, uh, how can all these things be happening to me? And God says, I have a plan. This is why Romans 8.28 is one of my favorite verses, that for all things work together for good, for those who love God and are called according to his purpose, because you see it over and over and over again. God shakes up our world and says, I'm testing you. Are you going to follow me? Are you going to trust me when times are hard? And then he gives you the reward. And if you look at any story out there, you look at any biography of how God has used people, you see the rough part of their life saying, are you going to trust me? So my question is, are you going through a really hard time right now? Are you willing to trust God and see what he's going to do? God has a plan for those that are on, in his family. He has a great plan for us in the long run. If you're not faithful, you will never see the end result of that plan. If you're faithful, you'll see the blessings of that plan. Now, I'm not saying it's going to happen tomorrow, next week, next year. You might be Joseph and have to wait a decade or two <laughs> for it to happen. You could be Abraham. Abraham was called and never saw the answer to what was promised to him. He, he was told he was going to be the father of nations and he ended up with two children. One of them God rejected because it was his child that he did on his own. And the other one was Isaac and said, Isaac's the one that this is going to be fulfilled through. Isaac lives his whole life getting the same promise just a 
little over 100 years that Isaac lived, he ended up with a whopping two children for his, for his nations. Would you be willing to take God's promise and never see the end result of it, knowing that God still has a plan? Abraham lives to be 137 years old. Never sees the answer to his, and his has, has his life pretty much shaken up. Our problems usually come into the fact that we want God to work on our timetable, not his timetable. We must learn to trust God in all that he's doing. What does that mean? We keep laying the foundation, we, we, we learn of him, we learn to trust him, and we get aware. Most of our lives are not going to have an angel step in and say, this is the plan. Yeah. This is the plan that I have for you. Mary and Joseph did because they were a very special, <laughs> special situation. They were given birth to God. They were going to raise God. How would you have liked that responsibility? <laughs> You know, it's hard enough raising a regular child, and now you have the Son of God. You have God himself that you're taking care of. I don't know that I would like that job. <laughs> uh, you know, how would you like to have been the brothers and sisters of Jesus? Why can't you be more like Jesus? <laughs> He's never any trouble to us. Uh, you know, but he says, all of this was done so that this would be the fulfillment of scriptures. Jo Joseph was being reminded God had already prophesied all about the Messiah. What a responsibility to say, I'm giving birth to the Messiah. Now, from their perspective, you've also got to understand their vision of what the Messiah was is different from our vision of the Messiah. We look at chapter Isaiah 53 where we see the suffering Messiah. We see the verses where the Messiah was going to die and raise again. You know, we see the, the Messiah that came to be our kinsman redeemer and to redeem us from our sins. What did the Jews see of the Messiah? A great king is coming that's going to make Israel the center of the world and everything's going to, everything's going to be ruled out of Israel. That'll be at the end of the tribulation that he will come in power to rule and Israel will be a center of all governmental authority. It's coming. But from their perspective, that was all they saw. The Messiah, Messiah is going to be here and they're going to make us number one nation. We're going to, we're going to be the top, the top nation. Everybody's going to come to us and we're going to rule the world. That is what they're waiting for. It's still what they're waiting for. They're waiting for that day that the Messiah comes to rule. So here, Joseph is going, and Mary are going, all right, the king is here. What was going on during their day? The Romans ruled. The Romans ruled the world. And they're going, okay, Messiah is being born. We are going to see the end of the Roman Empire. Now, the Roman Empire didn't end for another 300 years thereafter. But from their perspective, they're going, okay, Roman, Roman's going to be out of here and we, we're going to be the center of everything. They're th feeling pretty good about themselves. All we got to do is raise this kid to, a, to adulthood and we get to see our son sitting on the throne of Israel ru ruling the world. And apparently Joseph dies long before that happened and Mary gets to watch him die on a cross. Totally blowing her mind as to what was going on. 
Which brings me to my next point. How many times do we have a plan that we think God is going to do for us? God, this is what you're going to do. I know this is what you're going to do. You, I, I'm grabbing those promises out of the scripture. And then God doesn't do what we want him to do. When do you get disappointed? Do you get disappointed just because something seems to go wrong? No, we get disappointed when things don't go the way that we thought they should have gone. That is when we get disappointed. All right, I'm looking forward to Christmas this year. I'm going to get, I'm going to get the best gift I've ever had. That's what they're telling me to, that they were going to get me. And then you end up getting the worst gift that you could probably imagine. Why is it the worst gift? Because it wasn't the one you were expecting. It probably was a great gift. And you would have been really happy with it if you weren't expecting the Lamborghini to be sitting in your, in your driveway. And you got a Pinto. <laughs> and I'm being extreme here, but you understand what I'm saying. We set ourselves up for disappointment so often because we go, this is what is going to happen. And when it doesn't happen, it may be something good that happened to us. But we get disappointed. Going back to the story of Joseph being sold into slavery, he went into prison. Best thing that could have happened to him because it put him in the place to be promoted to, to head of the, of the Egyptian government, uh, second in charge of the Egyptian government. But you know what? Just like us, we would not have been happy with that. All right, I'm a slave, but I'm ruling this guy's house, and now I'm in prison. At least I was outside, I could go shopping, I was in charge of the house, I was buying, the, buying all the foods and paying, paying the vendors and taking care of everything, and now I'm in a cold, dark dungeon, a prison. Not knowing that it was the best thing. How disappointed would we have been in that situation? How disappointed have we been in our own lifetime when God doesn't do things the way we think it should have been done? We need to be very careful about our expectations of God and what he's going to do because I can tell you I've never seen God do it the way I think he should and it's been good that he hasn't done it the way that I think he should because what he has in plan is much better than anything I would have ever expected or accomplished because he is the one that knows the beginning from the end. We need to learn to trust his plan. And it is not always easy to trust his plan. Because his plan shakes our world upside down. Knocks the foundation out from under us. Because he's supposed to be foundation. And if we think we have a good foundation. He says let me show you that your, your built foundation is not a good one. And he knocks us off that foundation. And says I have a plan for you. Mary and Joseph going along thinking we're just going to get married we're going to have a normal life we love each other we're going to have a good life and the whole foundation of their life is pulled out from under them but God had a better plan had a better plan for them trust in his plan and then the last thing I just want to bring out here is a very interesting verse is verse 25 and most people never even look at this and he knew her not till she brought forth her firstborn, and they called his name Jesus. Until Jesus was born, Mary and Joseph had no sexual relationship. Why? 
He did not want to have anybody being able to say that this was his child in any way, shape, or form, so he left her without relationship. They did not consummate their marriage until after Jesus was born. This verse is also very important for those who are raised Catholic and say, well, Jesus, Mary was a perpetual virgin. Not according to the Bible. <laughs> the Bible is very clear that she was not. They had their relationships. They were a normal husband and wife after Jesus was born. So this is something that's very important for us to understand. The scriptures tell us that what is taught uh, by a particular group is not true. They were a normal husband and wife after Jesus was born. But he was a very honorable man up until that point. And it also shows you the discipline that Joseph had. Because even after he was married and legally could sleep with her, he did not until Jesus was born. Because he was going to say, I am going to make sure that nobody points and says, this is my child, this is God's child, this is a special child. And it really makes me understand Joseph. Joseph was a godly man who wanted to love his wife and to be obedient to God in all that he did. And it's kind of sad that he's not really in the story all that much. Of course, neither is Mary, if you think about it. She's announced that she's going to have a baby. She gives birth in Bethlehem, and they, they meet the wise men, and they go to Egypt, and that's about the last you hear of her until the wedding feast and the crucifixion. You know, Neither one of the par earthly parents are really that big a story. Joseph, we have this story. We have, the wise, we have them taking her to Jerusalem, uh, Bethlehem. We have the wise men, and we have them taken to Jerusalem. And then we don't hear about Joseph at all. Most people believe that he died at some point earlier on in Jesus' growing up years. But these people had great blessings great positions and God says here is the earthly family and he took care of making sure the earthly family understood what was going on and God if you need to know what's going on he will step in and give you encouragement he will step in and give you the word the hardest thing for us and especially in our day is learning to be still and quiet long enough to listen to God we have so many distractions in our in our lifetime you know, uh, we have the television, the radio, the people, the telephones. How many of you, when you start trying to pray, get a phone call? You know, it's al almost amazing how quick that comes in. I'm going to study, phone call. I'm going to pray, a phone call. You know, it is amazing how all these things happen to us to try to distract us. Many of us grew up with the idea that you have to have noise. I don't even like silence myself because it makes me have to think too hard <laughs> and usually about things I don't want to think about <laughs> but you know silence and solitude is something that we need to be able to sit down and say God I just need to listen to you speak to me because God speaks to us in a still small voice very rarely does he send an angel that says here I am I'm going to talk to you now listen but in this particular case of Joseph, it needed to be done because he was ready to put her away. He was so disappointed with his beautiful bride that he thought was unfaithful that God had to step in to make sure that she wasn't killed. That she did not have to be a single mother in a time that would have been a big deal. He took care of making sure that this happened. 
unfortunately, most of us are not that important that God will have to step in to keep us in, our, keep us in line. At least I don't think so. At least I know I'm not. Maybe some of you will be. I don't know. But God, if he needs to, will step in and, and breathe a loud voice and say, this is what I want you to do. This is where you must go. The Apostle Paul, you know, what a traumatic experience he had with God when he was blinded by the light, knocked off his horse, and God gave him this direction that he was going to serve him. You know, uh, God had a plan. And it's a good plan because Paul ended up writing most of the New Testament and was a great missionary to get the church started. But God had a dramatic call on his life. I did not have a dramatic call on my life. Most of the people I know did not have a dramatic call on their life. But if you did, if you had a really dramatic call, then God's got a real plan for you. You better be paying attention to that plan. Now, I got dramatically changed when I got saved, but I did not have a dramatic call. So when we want to, what do we want to do on this all is let's remember that God is going to use us, and when he does, it's going to shake up our world. Just following the Spirit is a big deal. How many times have you been harassed by family, friends, neighbors, co-workers, because you don't do what they do. You don't go out partying every Friday and Saturday night and they're looking at you like, what's wrong with you? You, you, don't, you don't sleep around with everybody and, 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 and shack up with everybody that you see and they're going, what's wrong with you? You're not like everybody else. You learn to work as unto God and you're working better than everybody else in the business and everybody's looking at you, you know, I don't know how many of you had this happen. You need to slow down. You're making the rest of us look bad. I've actually been told that on several jobs. And I've actually said, well, then you need to work as unto God and, and do your job the way that God wants you to do. Earn your pay. I wasn't well liked in a couple companies. <laughs> but are we working to God, as unto God or are we working the way that man wants us to? How about this one? Learn to tell the whole truth and nothing but the truth. God's standard of truth is a lot different from the world's standard of truth. The world's standard of truth is, well, as long as I didn't say anything wrong, I'm okay. But God says that if you're to tell no matter what. His standard of truth is you speak the truth. If you know it, you know, uh, I had a lawyer one time interviewing me. He says, I don't even want you on the stand. And I go, why? Because you're going to tell the whole truth. He goes, and they want you, it's very amazing to me in court, they, they, you promise to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, but the lawyers will tell you, answer just the question that was asked. With no more information involved, I'm going, well, that's not the whole truth. And they go, you answer just the question that was asked. So you're told by the lawyer, uh, lawyers to violate the oath that you take when you sit in the, in the witness seat. And as my mentality is like, okay, this is the way the world thinks. I want to obey God. Is our complete desire to obey God to the best of our ability? We'll never obey him completely, but is your desire and your hope to be obedient to God and asking him to help you be obedient to him in all areas? It's so important. In the long run, it's going to be important because this is where our rewards in heaven will come from, is our willingness to be obedient and to follow him in all that he does.
Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your word and the examples that we have in Scripture of people that are being obedient. Lord, if there's anybody that doesn't know you, we ask that today that they will recognize that they're a sinner and that you are the only way to heaven and they will accept your sacrifice on the cross for their sins and make you Lord and Master. Lord, for the rest of us that know you, I ask that you will put in our hearts the desire to serve you and to follow you in all that you ask and to make you our true Lord and Master and seek you in all that we do. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Listening friend, do you know where you'll go after you die? Without the gift of Jesus, it will be an eternity in hell without God. Good works will not get you there. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. To spend eternity with God, we must recognize that we are sinners in need of Christ. For all of sin and come short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. To be assured eternal life, we simply talk to God, admit you are a sinner, and ask him for his free gift. You must mean the words to get the to be answered. Jesus is waiting to hear your request. If you have asked him for eternal life, he has come into you and he will change you. Start reading the book of Ephesians and see what God says about your new life. After you understand the book of Ephesians, you can start reading the Gospel of John. Next, find a good Bible teaching church. Tell the pastor about your decision for God and be taught. If you contact us, we will send you a new believer booklet free of charge. Congratulations and grow in Christ. You can contact us by email at office at chloridebaptistchurch.com or by snail mail at P.O. Box 65, Chloride, Arizona 86431. We are happy to help with your new life in Christ or even answering Bible questions. Again, congratulations on your decision for Christ.